It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, verse number 7. Uh, if you were here this morning, I appreciate your attentiveness today. Um, I, I felt like the Lord blessed it, and it was foundational to what we'll look at tonight. Know ye not, brethren, verse number one, know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background as we work our way to verse five and six, okay? Um, and Paul is talking to believers who knew the law, Jew or Gentile. Probably there were more Jews in the church that knew the law than the Gentiles that knew the law, but it was not exclusively to Jews. He is not speaking exclusively to Jews. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them which know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now remember, when you're dead, you're not under the authority of the law. All right? President John F. Kennedy was killed. Don't ask some of my friends in Texas, but we assume by Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> Got some conspiracy theorist friends. They also think the world is flat, and so, and that we didn't go to the moon, and I'm saying all that to say because Brother Tennell is here tonight, and I'm hoping he gets convicted, but when Lee Harvey Oswald killed the president, uh, Kennedy, and a few days later, I think it was about two days later, Lee Harvey Oswald was killed. They didn't take his corpse into court and try him. Everything ceased. Why? Because the law only has dominion, power, authority, what it means, over a man as long as he liveth. When you die, you're not under the authority of the law anymore. And this is a truism in Roman law, in Jewish law, and in American law. When you die, you're delivered from the law. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. For it, then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Remember, this is only an illustration to talk about the longevity of her um, the requirement of one spouse to remain married to another spouse as long as they are alive. alive. You're not bound to stay married to a person after they're dead. It's creepy if you do. We've all heard those stories of, you know, people who, you know, their spouse died and they didn't tell anybody. They just laid him in the bed and they slept next to that corpse for months and years on end. Maybe some of you don't think that's creepy. Some of you might be thinking, I thought he was a corpse already. I didn't know. <laughs> but it's, you're not bound anymore to that. You're free from that. You're freed from that position. This is not a passage. Remember, we said it's not allegorical, trying to parallel verse number four, as some people teach. It's not a discussion on divorce and remarriage. It's certainly not a discussion from silence about divorce and remarriage. Some people say, oh, this explains everything about divorce and remarriage. It's never mentioned in the text once. You can't draw a conclusion from what's not said. You're adding to the burden of the Word of God if you do that. 
Divorce and remarriage is clearly taught in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And again, we said this morning by way of of just introduction and grace, or or not introduction, but clarity and grace, that the Bible does give some some, some escape clauses for divorce. Not at the rate that we're seeing it in the American church today. Let me be very clear. Irreconcilable differences, not a biblical escape clause. There's ostensibly three of them, three escapes. If the, that makes marriage sound fun. You can escape with these three things. No, but three reasons uh, that divorce is allowed but not required. Number one, it's for fornication or adultery, Matthew chapter 5. Number two, it's for abandonment. You can't be married to a person if you can't find them. I've had people argue, well, they're still married to him in the eyes of God, and they'll use this verse. That's not what this verse is talking about. They've abandoned them. First Corinthians chapter 7 is very, very clear on that. If they run and hide, they're done. I mean, if they, you know, you're abandoned. And thirdly, if an unbelieving spouse tells the believing spouse... Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I will not stay married to you. So either deny the faith and stay married or I'm out. Then you have to let them go. And if that were to happen, you're free to remarry. Now, again, that's 40 seconds into what I've taken or or two minutes into what I've taken over the years, like four weeks to teach on. So we're being very, very brief. There's a lot more to unfold in all of that. But I want to be super clear here. This is not a passage about divorce and remarriage. And anyone who says that is not being fair with the text. And then Paul goes on after using this illustration of a married person being bound by the law to a married person and says, wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. You died to the law because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Christ. And you're married to another, and he reiterates it now, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So we looked this morning uh, at the importance of the law by way of introduction. Then we saw the self-evident truth that you're only under the law as long as you're alive. And then we saw an illustration. And then we saw an application, a holy application in verse number four. Well, the paragraph does not end until verse number five. And in verse number five, we are confronted with a painful reality. By the way, I don't always like to show slides on Sunday nights because I just want us to be able to find scripture. It's not accidental or that John and I don't have time to do it. I really want you to find different scripture. So I'll give a little bit of time for you to turn in your Bible. You say, man, Pastor, I I like it because it's easier when we find it on the screen. Yeah, I get that. Just again, a little bit of philosophy tonight. I get that, but I want you to be able to find it in the Bible. And I want you to have to be looking up page 1242. Okay, there we go. I mean, if you have to, you have to do that, especially when you're new. You've been married for seven years. We had an assistant pastor in church one time that couldn't find the book of Nehemiah. It was, it was hilarious. I still give him a hard time about it. He's like, yeah, we're never in the Old Testament. I'm like, yeah, even in your private worship. Um, he's a dear friend. He's a dear friend. 
We see in verse number five, a painful reality. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Well, that's clear. Let's talk about this painful reality. Thanks, Jimmy. This painful reality. We were in the flesh. The flesh is used two ways in the Bible. The physical body, and it's really only used two ways. The physical body, or secondly, the wickedness of man man apart from Christ, or those controlled by their sin nature. Um, John chapter 1 talks about uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That would be talking about that which is born of the physical body is physical. That which is born of the spiritual body is spiritual. So you would have that used in the physical body of, uh, of your flesh. The Bible also says, mortify therefore the deeds of your flesh that you should not obey it, obey it in the lust thereof. That would be talking about the wickedness of man apart from Christ in the life of the believer. So when he says, for when we were in the flesh, he is talking about the wickedness of man apart from Christ. Or when we were before Christ, this is key. You you probably should circle this if you circle stuff in your Bible. For when we were in the flesh, we were wicked before God. We are being reminded here again that there is nothing good in us at all. So Paul says over in verse number 18 of chapter 7, look there real quick. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, that which is good, I find not. Paul is saying, in me there's nothing good. In my flesh dwells no good thing. Let me say this emphatically. There is nothing good about our flesh. Nothing. We have to come to this reality that all who reject Jesus Christ are in the flesh, even if they behave in a kind way, even if they say some Christian-y things, if they deny Christ, they're in the flesh. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, Paul is helping us to understand and helping them to understand. And he's talking to them personally about where they were at one time in their life. For when we were in the flesh, when we were apart from God, when we were living our life independent of the truth or submission to the Lord, there was nothing good about what we were doing. It's imperative that we understand that. We've had... There's, I'm going to say this. Hopefully it's clearly as I can. We've had political leaders who profess morality that because they act moral, any number of Christians say things like, well, they're moral. They've got to be saved. You could be moral and in the flesh. Matter of fact, there's a tremendous number of moral people who are lost and undone and without Christ. And they're still in the flesh. Being moral doesn't make you a Christian. Or everything that we preach this morning and for the last 41 weeks is null and void. 
Morality doesn't make you a believer. Faith in the grace of God through Christ alone is what makes you a believer. And Paul is being very, very candid and clear here. And it's high time, and I'm not being rebuking here at all, but I want to help us to understand that just because, as we come to an election, and Zane prayed on it, and I feel a burden to say it, that just because somebody has moral statements or might even vote from a moral position that does not make them a believer in Jesus Christ, and they are not the hope for our future, the hope for our future is the gospel of Christ alone. We have some Christians who, people who literally believe this, that if you simply hold to their position as a believer in Christ, if you hold to their same political position, then you've got to be a believer. Our previous president, who I liked his position, but I will say was not a moral man, nor the picture of humility on every level or any level. Though he did say he was the greatest president ever, including George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. But I've had people say his positions, Pastor, mean that he had to be a believer. No, no, no. No, it doesn't. Well, why would he have those positions? Because he liked those positions. But it's still in the flesh. You can hold to the right position in the flesh and in the flesh from a salvific perspective dwells no good thing look over at Romans chapter 8 verse number 8 Romans chapter 8 verse number 8 so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God Well, God has to be happy. Look at what they're doing for him. No, if they're in the flesh, they can't please God. This isn't a Chris Chadwick statement. They're in the flesh. They're unsafe. It's a painful reality. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. Paul said it this way to the churches of Galatia in chapter 5, verse number 16. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh warreth against the, or lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that they cannot do the things that the, they would. Amen. A natural man is a man in the flesh without Christ. And it is important that we understand that though we can never as believers be in the flesh, the flesh is able to manifest itself in a believers. We, in believers, we can yield to it. So there's four key words in this verse. The first one is the word flesh, when we were in the flesh. Before we were saved, you couldn't please God. No matter what you did, you're in the flesh. The next key word is found in here. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The next key word is sins. And you'll see the phrase, the motions of sin. The word motion here means the passion to sin. It's a desire to, to want what sin promises. 
How many of you have noticed that sin makes grandiose promises? I mean, it makes really big promises. If I do this, this will be how it'll work out. This is it. This will work out in an amazing way if I just, if I just cave into this. It's clearly illustrated. Really, it's the first tragic illustration in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through Genesis chapter 3, verse number 7. The story of Adam and Eve and the, the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The, the passage on the fall where Eve is confronted by the beautiful serpent and, and the serpent says, to Eve, can you eat of every tree of the garden? Oh yeah, we can eat of every tree of the garden, but but the, we can't eat the, the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan says to her, yeah, here's why, because the day that you eat of it, God knows that you'll be just like him. Oh, I can be like God? I can know the difference between good and evil? Think about it for a minute. There's been a lot of theological debates as how long Adam and Eve were on the earth before that happened, and we'll never know. I I would never know, but imagine the amount of time to never know what it is like to do wrong. Could you imagine how cool that would be? To never struggle? I can't drive down the road without wanting to do wrong. Literally. You say, why? Because I've never been on a road that had a speed limit of 120 miles an hour. <laughs> never. I was coming back from Lancaster the other day, driving through Temecula, and I'm just going with the flow of traffic, and I'm like, man, we're making good time. And I looked down, and that triple-digit number was telling me why we were making good time. Holy cow. I'm driving like Debbie. <laughs> And Eve never struggled. She never knew wrong. But but the the service, she knew good. She never knew evil. She only knew good. But the serpent told her, hey, you'll know good and evil. And Eve was like, I'll be like God. I'll know the difference between good and evil. And she took a bite. And she gave to her husband also with her. And he did eat. And their eyes were opened. And they did. And they saw for the first time that they were naked and they needed to be modest. So they took some fig leaves and they covered themselves up. The passion of sin was overpowering. I I used this not too long ago. Romans chapter 7, the story that Solomon gives his son Rehoboam of the young man who is void of understanding that goes by the way uh, of the prostitute in that district. And he goes over to see what it's like. And uh, he doesn't avoid it. He passes by it. And he passes by, in my mind, again and again and again. And then he meets this woman. And the Bible says, with her much fair speech, in Proverbs 7, 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And this is what it says about her, or about the the interaction. He goeth after her straightway, or he follows her closely. As an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool before the correction of stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, As a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. 
Before we were in Christ, we were in the flesh. We were in the motions, the passion of sin. Just, just think of some of the music in our world. And it talks about just the aggregate passion of sin. I'm not trying to illustrate music, but music is just an indication of the heart of so many people. And just this passionate desire to sin. The second key word is the passion for sin. Which were by the law, verse number five, which were by the law. And they did work, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Not only is there a passion to sin because of our flesh, there's also a, a promotion of the law. The believer's old life. This is where we all were before we got saved. It's characterized by our sinful passion. And that sinful passion was constantly aroused by the law. In other words, the, now stick with me the whole way through. If you get lost halfway through, I'm going to sound almost like a heretic. The law brought, brings a greater excitement to sin. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, well that, that is what he's saying. For when we were in the flesh, the motion, put the word passions in there, the passions of sin, which were by the law. And the idea of that is that they are being inflamed by the law. It is the law that teaches good and evil, right? Verse number seven, I had, what shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid, uh, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet, but sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, uh, sin is dead. So we, we understand through God's law that we're not supposed to do whatever it is that we're doing. And it, this is what it means. It, it brings a, a measure of excitement to what we're doing because of the rebellious nature of mankind makes him want to do the very thing God commands us not to do. Okay, I'm going to have to illustrate it. My daughter Judith who's not here, so I can say whatever she wants. I told my kids, you bail on Canyon Ridge, we'll lie about you for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, my daughter, Judith, uh, and I'm teasing, uh, but she was two years old, and she developed a sweet tooth from her mother and grandmother, and she just loved sugar. And so we trained her not to love sugar as much as we could, but once you have that taste in your mouth for chocolate, it just doesn't go anywhere but to new heights of joy. Can I get an amen from somebody in the crowd? I, I've never heard anybody say, yeah, no, I just, I'm not, I'm not really into chocolate. I, a Brussels sprouts, yes, chocolate, no. If you're really like that, what we know is that you are a liar and you find great joy in doing that. But Judith was um, two years old. We were living in Amarillo, Texas, just, just before she was two. And uh, I had in our little mobile home that we lived in a desk in our bedroom and bookshelves above the desk. And I put candy on top of the bookshelves. And Judith knew she was not allowed to go into that room and get candy. She knew she had to ask to get candy, and she knew 
And it's about three o'clock in the morning and Debbie and I wake up to what we thought was the sound of mice and rats. Now, you live out in the, Tex- in the Texas panhandle in the middle of nowhere, you have a, a, a mouse problem. And so we were constantly killing mice. It wasn't anything for us to, to kill five, six, seven mice a night. And there were cats in the neighborhood and the, the, the mice brought the cats, the cats brought the coyotes. And so we had cats and we suddenly didn't have cats. They, they went to cat heaven. And uh, Brother Ralph, no cat goes to heaven. They do not go to heaven. They are their father, the devil, and forever they will be there. And so um, the, the cats would, would, would be good. So we thought, Debbie and I, we wake up and we hear this. And Debbie's like, you hear that mouse? And I'm like, because, you know, man, we'll sleep through just about anything. Debbie's waking up at the drop of water. And I'm like, oh, uh, no. What is that? that is not a mouse. She goes, that's a mouse. That's not a mouse. She goes, maybe somebody's trying to break in. To our house? What are they going to get? Our used TV that doesn't have an on-off button? You had to unplug that thing at the wall. I mean, thief would come in our house and bring us stuff. I mean, come on in. You can have whatever you want. And so insurance might give us something with a switch. And so... um, I look up, I roll over and I look up trying to get my bearings. You know how it is when you first wake up. And I roll over and I get my bearings. No lie, that little thief <laughs> had climbed up on the chair, my office chair. It's, it's pitch black in there. Climbed up on the desk. I didn't even know she knew the candy was in there. And was reaching her grubby little hands on the top of the shelf. <laughs> And she's pulling it out and looking at it. Didn't want that one. She dropped that thing back in. And she pulled it back out. And I wanted to yell at her and startle, startle her. But Debbie's like, don't yell. She'll fall. At which point I thought, that would be fun. She'd get what she deserves. And Debbie won out. So Debbie went over there and comforted her and made her a bowl of ice cream. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, that that did not happen. She was instructed as to what judgment is that night, and not mercy. But when when we got it, Judith, what are you doing? This is automatically what she did. I'm telling you what happened tonight in the nursery. I don't know whose kid, but probably yours. Or yours. Debbie said something like, or whoever's working with them said something like this. Hey, don't touch that. Don't touch that. We don't bring machetes in here for you to play with. (laughs) And as soon as they thought Debbie wasn't looking, guess what they were doing? Sometimes they'll do it like this, looking right at you. What what do you think you're going to do? It's on right here. Let's go. Let's go. You, you want some of this? I'm touching it. This finger is going in the socket. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Why is that? Because deep in the heart of man is a spirit of rebellion. And when God says, don't do it, they say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it. That's why you're a fool if you're a parent 
who doesn't correct their children the way God commands you to. Because you're teaching your children that even though God says to do something, that it really doesn't matter. And, and you're the picture of that. See, I'm just giving you an aside. Parental discipline is one of the most grace-filled things you can do because you're teaching your children that the law of God has value, merit, and there are consequences for disobeying God's law. Well, I just want to talk to them. Hey, sweetheart, you can talk to them all day long, but I'm telling you, that's not always being obedient to the Lord. I mean, I just want you to see the text tonight. I got like a few minutes and I'm done. So the third key word is which were by the law. The motions and the passions of sin are excited by the law of God. John and I were talking, we, we get people that, that will come up with computer programs that will call our church to waste our time. They'll just call and they'll be like, I'm in crisis. <laughs> and the first time it happens, you're like, oh, that's a bummer. What can I do to help you? And then you realize real quick, it's just, it's a Google voice thing and it's just computer generated. And John's over there talking, praying and leading somebody to the Lord. And on the other end, Teddy Ruxpin's like falling down before the Lord asking for salvation. The first time it happens, the second time it happens, John's like, you should tell Teddy Ruxpin that he will spend eternity in the fire. Click. <laughs> and then there is the finality of death. Did work in our members to bring forth death. The flesh, the passion of sin, and the law worked in our life to bring the word, the word work here means to perform it, to be effective, to bring forth death. That's why the person without Christ is hopeless. There's, there's no, well, maybe, no, maybe God, my, God can't show them a mercy from a salvific perspective. It's settled. It's established. Why? Because the flesh, the passion of sin, and the law can only do one thing, produce death. The law has never given life. Listen to me. The law has never given life. The law can't give life. Performance can't give life. The whole point of the law, Romans chapter 6, we looked at it, I'm not going to be redundant from this morning. The whole point of the law is death. It's a painful reality. Well, I'll just try harder. Try all you want. I can try all I want. I don't mean you like, like judgmentally, but a person can try all they want and it will never bring about life because the whole point of the law is to prove to you you need Christ. The whole point of the law is to prove to you that you are lost and dead. And that's all it does. And then we see a priceless declaration in verse number six. But now, oh, I love this verse. But now we are delivered from the law. Praise his holy name. And I said, praise his holy name. We're delivered from the law. Now we understood this morning the law is good. But all the law can produce is death. So we're delivered from the law that being dead, 
wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. But now it, it introduces a, 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 a focus or it's a phrase that literally introduces the heart of the passage. We've worked this whole way to get to the but now passage. The law lost its jurisdiction over us at Calvary. It lost its authority over us when Christ died on the cross. The law only has power over a person as long as they're alive. This is why we've dealt so candidly with the reality that you are co-crucified with Christ. When, when the scripture says in Galatians 2.20, which we read this morning, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, or live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul was not trying to be funny or fill words. You literally were co-crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6 is replete, redundant, intentionally redundant with this reality that you and I, if you're a believer, were co-crucified with Christ. And so verse number 4 teaches, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Why are we liberated from the law? Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, turn over there real quick. Galatians chapter 3. Verse number 13. Christ has redeemed us, or Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. We're on the tree with him if we're saved. And so back to Romans chapter 7. We're delivered from the law because we're dead to the law. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And because we're dead to the law, we should now serve in joy. Serve in the newness of spirit and not the oldness of the letter. People in the Old Testament serve. And if I could be honest, sometimes they serve to a much greater capacity. People who often serve out of a spirit of duty or obligation... People who often serve working their way to heaven, it's tragic, but oftentimes they serve with a, a greater fervor than do saved people, which is antithetical to Scripture. Well, I'm saved, what does God care? Well, there's a contrast here. There's people who served before they were saved, but here they were slaves but Paul uses the right phrase to that's very important here in verse number six that we should serve. It's the word. It's a. It's a, 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 a off the root word for of do loss, 
And it means voluntary slavery. To the law, it was obligatory slavery. We were forced to serve. But after salvation, it is, obligatory, it is voluntary. We become a bond slave, a doulos, which is what the word mean, the Greek word doulos means a, a slave or a bond slave. We are voluntarily, voluntarily serving the Lord. In the flesh, we were obligated. In the flesh, we even served sin and we had to. But here we're supposed to serve the Lord voluntarily. Now look at the phrase in verse number six. In newness of spirit. Newness. The quantitative or qualitative rather new life with the indwelling of Christ. In other words, Paul says this, our service to the Lord should be born out of a heart of love and devotion to the Lord. And it should be a joy to serve the Lord. Not, no oh, shucks, no. <laughs> nobody else is going to do it. If I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. If I don't handle it, nobody else is going to handle it. I've got to be the one. So my, might as well be me. No, the, the believer no longer serves God in a position of defeat. He serves God in joy. In love. In peace. In forgiveness. It's the spirit of it. Nobody else will do it. Sometimes I've been telling our staff so often, I don't ever want to hear there's nobody here to serve at Canyon Ranch. We've got a church full of people who want to serve. So often the only reason people ever say nobody here wants to serve is because you don't want to ask anybody. And most of the time you don't want to ask anybody because you'd rather find a reason to complain because you've got a critical, complaining, crappy spirit that needs to be dealt with with Jesus. Oh, amen, pastor. Yeah, I needed that. I should come to the altar while you're preaching. You just talked about my marriage. No, people want to serve. You say, well, I know some people who don't. Okay. I get it. But the vast majority of people want to serve. If you're a believer, you should want to serve. If you don't want to serve and you're a believer, there's something wrong with you, not with service. There's something wrong with your walk, not with service. No, no, just in case you, you're like a note taker. There's something wrong with you. There's a sin issue with you. Now, sometimes the something wrong is that you're too busy in a multitude of other areas in your life. Here's what people have to say, well, I'm so busy. I'll just stop serving the Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's the one we can't stop serving. He's the one we can't get away from. He, he's the one we don't have the obligation to, to get away from. Sometimes we just need a little bit of a break. We, we need to take a vacation. 
How many are with me? You're not evil if you're tired. Sometimes you're just tired. You say, well, what do I do if I'm tired? Sleep. But be quiet. You work at Ridge City Daycare. All you do is sleep. <laughs> you walk into your class, those kids are giving you a massage all day long. It's, it's like four-year-old yoga in your classroom. Right? Walking on your back all day, every day. Does Miriam do everything? No, she just says namaste all day long. They just keep walking on her back. It's, it's, it's like a massage freeway up in there. No, I'm totally teasing. I'm totally teasing. I'm just kidding 100%. But, but sometimes we just, need to take, we just need to get a little bit of a break. But a break does not happen for life. I'll share this illustration and I'm done. I've got a lot to say, but I'm done because I promised I'd be short. And I've crossed that line earlier. And I heard some teachers in this church complaining about service this morning. They said it went too long. And I said, we're just trying to pray so the deacons would get saved. (laughs) Bernie said, we don't even have any deacons. I said, that's why we're praying and preaching. When Debbie and I were were dating, we were engaged, and uh, I bought a fifth wheel. It's a legendary fifth wheel in my illustration world. It leaked like crazy, but it was cheap. And we could live there. It was kind of in the middle of the forest. Our our campus was in the uh, kind of in a part of the Angeles National Forest in San Dimas and California. And and a friend of mine had put the fifth wheel there, and I bought it from him for fifteen hundred bucks. That's a deal. Even if it leaks, it's a deal. Well, this is pre-cell phones. How many of you remember that era? It was okay, like nine of us remember that era. Linda, you, you and Bill and I remember that. We, Debbie and I were communicating via snail mail. It's hard to argue over snail mail. You know what I'm talking about? And, we, and I didn't have enough quarters, and there was a limit. I, I don't know why our college is, but it was a 15-minute limit on the phones. And so I'd have to drive three miles off campus to go to a phone to give her a call. And by that point, I didn't want to talk to her. And so I, I determined that I'd put a phone in our fifth wheel. So I called Pacific Bell, and I said, hey, what do I need to do to put a phone in the fifth wheel? They said, well, give us your address. And so I gave them the address. They said, no, all you have to do is you have to trench from a post that you put in the ground. It just needs to be trenched 18 inches down up to the phone box. Well, that was 120 feet. So 18 inches, 120 feet. And I was, I had a job. And so I would come home at night and I would, I went to, 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 I don't know what it was, a home improvement store. And I bought a pickaxe and a shovel and I would work all night until it got dark and I couldn't see anymore. I would work uh, through tree roots and everything, digging 18 inches down, 120 feet up to the phone box. I had to get permission from the school to do it. I, I didn't have to pay for it. The phone company paid for it and, and I trenched it. And can I tell you, I never, ever felt bad about doing it. The whole time I'm trenching, this is what I'm thinking of. I'm going to get to talk to Debbie. I'm going to get to talk to Debbie. I get to talk to Debbie. I can't wait to talk to Debbie. This is going to be so great. And then the more that I got to know Debbie, I'm going to get to listen to Debbie. I'm going to get to listen to Debbie. I'm going to get to listen to Debbie. I get to hear her stories. It's going to be great. I get to talk to Debbie. And then I'm like, we're going to get married. She's going to get to talk to her mom. She's going to get to talk to her mom. She's going to get to talk to her mom. By the time I got to the phone box, I thought, what have I done? 
Now, I didn't know all that other stuff. I'm just being funny. But the reality is I never one time regretted, a, not a single time did I regret the pickaxe, the blisters on my hands, the long nights. Never did. Why? Because I was looking forward to something. And I was serving someone who was more important than my own personal desires. It was a newness of spirit. When I was a kid, my dad one time asked me to help him put in a mailbox. We had to dig one hole two and a half feet in the ground. And you would have thought that he asked me to eat a nuclear bomb. Why aren't he out here doing it? Who cares about the mail anyway? I don't care about the mail. I don't care if we ever get mail again. Why do I have to do this? Some of your parents are like, my kid live with you? Yeah, I'm sorry. You my son? But as soon as the objective was right, as soon as the objective was right, Brother Ferg, I, I never even thought about it. It was a joy because I couldn't wait to talk to Debbie. You want to know why some of you really struggle to serve the Lord? Because all you're thinking is, why me? 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 Or, I'm the only one who could do it. I'm the That's the oldness of the letter. Here's what the scripture says. We're just going to serve him in newness of spirit. Jesus, will this please you? Jesus, will this honor you? As I study for my super church class, as I clean up those four and five-year-olds, as I grab the weak ones from the violent ones, <laughs> four and five-year-old class, they always have like the inmates <laughs> and the regulars. <laughs> no kidding. Like, I didn't know you could join Hell's Angels at four. Leave your motorcycle at home. And who gave you that chain anyway, son? When were you jumped in? Four-year-old comes to class, La Raza, 13's right here, baby. <laughs> and, and our church only goes along because I'm funny. Um, and whether it's that or whatever it is, or greeting or serving or witnessing or studying, it's, it's a beautiful declaration. I get to serve the King of Kings. You know how it should really be in all of our lives? That we ought to have a pastor or pastoral staff going, I know you love serving, but we need to let some other people serve. And you have to be like, really? I just want to serve the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But we need to let some other people serve. Not because we're trying to please men. I don't care how happy Bernie is with my service. I, I mean, I want him to be happy. I don't, I don't care how happy Pastor is with my service. I mean, I want him to be happy. But I'm not serving for Pastor Bernie or Pastor Chadwick. I'm serving for Jesus Christ, the one who died for me. And I'm going to do it with joy in newness of spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. As opposed to the oldness of the letter. So there were people who were trusting in the law for salvation. No, no, we're dead to the law. 
Not only are we dead to the law, we're dead to the old way of thinking. The flesh and sin and the law can only produce death. But salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is transformative. And it's so transformative that it transforms the way that I am a slave, and I'm no longer an obligatory servant, minister, pastor. I'm voluntarily a bond slave, and I serve the Lord in a newness and a joy of spirit. Every time you think of a, you see a phone, think of me trenching a ditch with joy for Debbie. And it was a joy. And I was so pumped for her to see it. Do you serve the Lord with joy? Is playing an instrument or singing a song or greeting or being an usher a joy? You're like, I just got to take a break. I, I said hi to people at church three weeks in a row. I'm being overwhelmed. I'm not trying to be funny. But is that the spirit that God wants us to have? And if it's not, maybe tonight you just need to come and say, God, would you forgive me for serving you like a legalist? And would you give me the spirit to serve you in liberty? Because that's what he's calling us to do. We're liberated from the law in salvation. We saw this morning. We're liberated from the law in service. And would to God we would be a church and a people who find great joy in serving the Lord. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.